You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the once and future official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com. For the first show of the new year, I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me today is, for episode 150, is the founding panel. We have freelance writer and gamers with jobs proprietor, Julian Murdoch. Hey, I like how I'm second seat because I'm regular. That's good. (laughs) I've moved up in the ranks over the last 150 episodes. Bit by bit, you'll get there. Eventually, taking over. Dr. Bruce Garrick. Hello, gamers. <laughs> <laughs> and returning, the proprietor of Quarter to Three, a freelance writer, Tom Chick. Uh, before we start, Troy, I just want to ask, uh, Bruce, would you get me a coffee? Black and sugar? <laughs> would you like Splenda? No, no sugar. Just black. Thank you. Uh, sh- uh, uh, uh. Splenda is not sugar. But sweetener, you know, sweeteners for babies. I like my coffee black and bitter like I like my manna. What? Uh, like I see what you did a little Magic the Gathering joke there. That was good. Thank you. But- you know, Julian, I'm so glad to have someone on the podcast who isn't a hardcore strategy wonk with no <laughs> awareness of the wider cultural factors like Magic the Gathering. Thank you, Julian. Uh, I do what I can. <laughs> was it manna invented by World of Warcraft? Please. Manna goes back to hobbits, I believe. I think no. it goes back to the ancient Greeks. <laughs> Can we figure out who invented manna? That that's going to be a link at the bottom of this podcast. You know, actually, if don't get know, me started. Manna is actually a Hebrew word, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, that's two ends. Two ends. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> he's, he is correct. Two ends. The manna that fell uh, in the book of Exodus. But we're way off topic, which we <laughs> already haven't even set yet. we haven't even started. <laughs> even it's start just like the, the old days. <laughs> That's why I miss you guys. Uh, This is the first show of 2012. Um, We thought we would kick off uh, the year with uh, the original panel and Bright's episode 150, so it's special. And also a chance to look back at 2011, uh, the highlights in strategy gaming for us, the the games that uh, stick with us, uh, the things we liked most of us. We're going to try and stick positive in the strategy and and board gaming worlds. there was a. It was a very big year for a lot of games. It was really the year I think people will remember as a game for RPGs more than for strategy games. Uh, but I think uh, there's a lot to talk about in the strategy environment. So let's start with Tom, since uh, you're back and this is it's, you haven't been on the while. Mm-hmm. You've been playing a lot of strategy games. There's a lot of everything this year. Mm-hmm. But is, what's the strategy game that stands out most for you? We've, we've seen your top ten list. It was posted in quarter to three, and that'll be linked. So... Uh, what uh, games stuck out for you? Well, as far as like standing out, there are like like exceptional titles like Shogun Two and Anno Twenty Seventy, which I really really liked, and and uh, in ways were were very surprising revelations. It was great to see the direction that developer related design took Anno. You know, uh, from the previous game, they they had some really cool innovations there. The sci-fi theme was great. It's also I was so delighted to see Creative Assembly back in fine form with with Shogun 2. But if if you were to phrase it, the question, and this is how some of the email exchanges went, what was the most surprising? I think discovery, or what was our strategy discovery of the year? For me, it was a game that I actually forgot came out this year. And I hate this. I hate those poor January games that you play and you love in January, and then come. June, July, you're like, wasn't that last year? That was that like came three out? years ago. What was that? Yeah. yeah. Right, exactly. So here's a game that I, I feel I should have listed, not necessarily in my top ten, but certainly in my little paragraph preceding top ten of kind of the, the honorary games that didn't quite make the cut but deserved a shout-out. Um, my most surprising discovery was uh, Adam Zombie Smasher. 
like a $10 downloadable game from a fellow named Brandon Chung who does these little indie funky games. And what was so cool about Adam Zombie Smasher was not just the zombie mythology, which that's my own particular bag. I love that kind of thing. I love how seeing it expressed different ways. But but what made Adam Zombie Smasher a great strategy gaming discovery for me was how it took the tenets of, of a real-time strategy game and built it into these little uh, self-contained, like maybe three, four-minute puzzles. Uh, and it, I was just so delighted to see how well that worked. And he put it in a larger framework of a... Uh, you, you have counters for the zombie infection, and you're trying to fight it by by cleansing, by saving territories, and sometimes you have to just nuke them. Uh, so that that for me was the real surprising. Hey, look what look what surprises strategy gaming still has in store. Um, did any of you, uh, Bruce? I know you fiddled with it a bit. Um, yeah, did I, I actually fiddled it with it at your place, and then yep. was so taken by it that I actually went home. Well, I when I came home, I uh, I bought it myself. Uh, I really liked the uh, sort of <clears> – <throat> it was completely surprising to me. I mean I didn't really have any idea, and, and you're really good at this with um, – when we go to movies, you don't tell me what freaking movie you're going to see until we like – the credits are rolling. <laughs> and then uh, – <laughs> Blindfold you and drag you into the well, theater? Well, he's like, well, we're going to see this movie. And then, then, then like, you know, we get a ticket. I'm like, whatever. Did it have, like, like uh, buttered popcorn? And I'm like, oh, look, tasty. And then we walk into some theater, and then all of a sudden, like, there's a movie, and there's a whole movie with Mickey Rourke in it, and I didn't even know Mickey Rourke was in it. And I'm like, wow. Yeah, that's the, the entertainment value is we come out of that afterwards, and Bruce Garrick is like, who was that guy? Was that Mickey Rourke? <laughs> <laughs> that actually yeah, I mean, happened. Yeah, I, I I did put time in it, and and it was just it, the thing about it is uh, I I don't know whether it's going to stand the test of time. We're going to be talking about it as like a generational title, but it was such a breath of fresh air. I mean, it was doing really interesting, different stuff, and uh, you know, I I really felt like it was uh, you know in in a sea of sameness. I mean, a lot of StarCraft II burnout happened for me this year. Um, right. It was it was something that was really fresh and wonderful. I just I just felt that 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 it it was one of those games where. I sort of didn't really know what to expect, and then I just started clicking on things and really wanted to keep clicking. Now, I had a whole – I mean, I had some problems with the, the simulation. I don't think it was really very accurate, but, I mean, <laughs> I, I was willing to to go with that because uh, uh, you just had – I loved how it, um, it just added little things, uh, all of which – I sort of had to figure out on my own, which I enjoyed doing, which I usually don't enjoy doing. I'd rather read some kind of giant manual and then try to put everything together the first time. And then when it doesn't work out, I get pissed off and quit. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I, I liked the way it, I thought it was well, I thought the pacing was great for, for, for a game that's that small. And it seems like a throwaway kind of little game. It actually got all the, a lot of individual elements of game design, right? I thought the, the pacing was great. Uh, and I love the art design. I really liked a whole bunch of things about that game, but I cut Tom off. Has the developer done anything else? Is this? Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Br is it Brendan or uh, Brendan Chung? He was with, I believe he was with Pandemic. Uh, they did like the Saboteur. They did a, right. a Lord of the Rings themed game, uh, and he, I think, was even doing little independent things while he was with Pandemic. The most notable of which was a. Uh, it's not a first-person shooter. It's kind of like a – it's almost like a movie trailer for a first-person shooter that you play, and it was called Gravity Bone. 
Uh, and right. Gravity Bone right. was... Oh, God, uh, is that the same guy? I didn't even realize yeah. that. Oh, oh, yeah. Gravity same Bone guy. was brilliant. Gravity Bones was fantastic. And you see, and that's the thing, it's the, if you, from a game mechanic perspective, Adam Zombie Smasher is, like I said, it's RTS puzzles. Uh, right. And he, he sort of tricks you by each little RTS you play, you only get three random tools, like three random units, and how are you going to use these units for this particular yeah. situation? But what he did is he takes some of those, those just really... Uh, amazing creative touches from Gravity Bone, and he puts them in Adam Zombie Smasher. Right now, it all makes sense. Yeah, yeah, with these strange cutscenes, with the sort of surf punk music, um, you, you know, the the these uh, incredibly precious names for your units. You can rename them if you want, but I never got a unit that I didn't love what it was already called. Uh, so uh, from his Gravity Bone background, you can see I sort of describe Adam Zombie Smasher as Gabriel Garcia Marquez meets Wes Anderson meets George Romero meets a real-time <laughs> strategy game. Uh, and if you had described that to me before it came out, I would have thought you were just inventing something that could never be done. Uh, so, And Bruce, you mentioned how it how, – uh, it's really – it lets you sort of figure it out on its own without having to like sit down and wrap your head around it before you play – because uh, I'm the same way as you, Bruce. If I play, if I'm given something in a game, I want to know everything about it. I don't want to have to figure it out through trial and error. Right. I want I want information. Right. But what, what Adam Zombie Smasher does is it's okay to fail. It's okay to do trial and error. That failure that comes from trial and error is built into the game because you can lose and he fully expects that you will lose some of the territories. There's right. this, there's this canny sense of to deal with the zombie apocalypse, there's going to be a little scorched earth. Sometimes yeah. you're just going to have to pull out quickly, uh, and right. let the zombies take over. Uh, so there are just so many ca- cool things that he did with that game as a strategy game, as uh, as a little narrative, creatively speaking. Like you said, Julian, it's just such a breath of fresh air to see that, yeah, a little $10 downloadable game in the strategy genre can be this good and, and this memorable, except I, for the I, fact I, I forgot it came out in January. I, I sort of feel like that's the theme for this year. I mean, I've been doing a lot of various, you know, summarize the year kind of articles and, and shows, and Almost everything I've really enjoyed has been something smaller like that. I mean, I was going through my list, and honestly, I'm not sure I put more time into any strategy game than I put into Frozen Synapse over the course of the year. And that's a bit of a hard one to peg because, you know, it was in beta for so long. Is it really a 2011 game? We talked about it when we had them on the show here, and we're really kicking it around. Um, But man, did I plow time into that. And, you know, coming out on the iPad, which is really the, to me, the platform that game was always designed for in a way. Right. Um, you know, between things like that and, and Adam Zombie Smasher and Orcs Must Die on Xbox Live Arcade, I mean, it, it was a, a year of these sort of pleasant surprises and, and the big titles like, I don't know, Men of War, Assault Squad, as much as I loved them and did put a lot of time into them, it was really these little things that I look back on with joy. Now, Tom, a couple of times talking about Adam Zombie Smasher, you mentioned a puzzle approach. Is there, I haven't played Adam Zombie Smasher, so I'm going to ask this kind of innocently. Mm-hmm. Is there a point where the puzzle overtakes the strategy? Because you know, this is something that's kind of an issue for me when it comes to strategy games. If it's, if it's really about solving a puzzle, then it's not really quite a strategy game. Is the, it, does the pan, it have the genuine Panzer tactics? Core phenomenon. Or? Yeah. yeah, yeah. See, I don't think Panzer Corps, what, what bothers me about Panzer Corps is their canned puzzles. Like, right. I feel like the puzzle that I'm solving is how the designer made the scenario. Right. Uh, and the right. puzzles in, 
in Adam Zombie Smasher have a much more organic feel. It's like, okay, here's randomly generated. And actually, I don't think they're randomly generated, but here's these little, a little city map. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of them. So you never get the sense of, oh, it's, it's this map again. You have a little city map. You have a few dots scattered around that represent survivors. And they're literally just dots and little pixels. And then you have a bunch of dots that come in from all the edges that represent zombies overrunning the area. So uh, that's the kind of the puzzle there is that you've got to set a little escape zone where the blue survivor dots run to to get airlifted out. And you are randomly given three of your units to then interact with the map, whether it's barricades to block off the zombies or artillery to shell the zombies or soldiers to shoot at them or zombie bait to attract them. You just get three random tools and this sort of procedurally generated puzzle. Uh, and you go. It's not a sense of sort of sussing out what a scenario designer wants you right. to do. Right. It really is an organic puzzle in the purest sense of the word. Here are and, these tools. And, here's this problem. Go. And, and there's not the sense of throwing yourself at the puzzle 400 times to figure it out either. Right? Oh, I, I threw myself at the puzzle 400 times to figure it out, believe me. Well, you know what? That's, that's <laughs> a good point, Bruce and Julian, because it does let you just accept failure or retry right. the scenario. Right. And uh, if you want to do a, a Bruce Garrick and beat your head against it 400 times to optimize it, and uh, you can do that. But if you also want to say, you know what? This one beat me. I'm going to let this go into the into the queue. You know, this is going to be the outcome. And now I go to the strategic map to see the fallout of it. Uh, and Troy, you ask about, uh, you know, does the puzzle ever overwhelm the strategy? Uh, furthermore, is once you finish a scenario, you get experience for the units that you used in that scenario. So they become more powerful okay. as you carry them over to other scenarios. So there's a longer term strategy there. And there's also a map. You know, there's there's as the infection spreads across the map, there are adjacency issues you have to deal with. You know, as the infection builds up here, it's going to threaten adjacent territories more powerfully. Uh, you know, where do you where do you let a territory burn out? Where do you nuke a territory? You know, right. you, you eventually get nukes and can just destroy an entire territory. Um, so I would say no, the puzzle stuff never overwhelms the strategy. Uh, it's no Panzer Corps. So this is something I have to buy, like, tonight, even though I have no time. Yeah. You know what? It's, it's especially if you have yes. no time, because like yeah. I said, they're, they're literally – there's no mission in Adam Zombie Smasher that's going to take you more than three or four minutes. Yeah. No, I have no time. I have so yeah. many things I have to play, and I have no time. And the other thing is about it is that if you – I mean, <clears throat> I felt that I really couldn't, like, proceed to – you know, I couldn't just let things happen the way they, they – they, um, uh, you know, just let things fall where they may, because I felt that – Eventually, I'm going to be called upon to actually, you know, to do this in real life. And so I need to know what the answer is beforehand because I feel it was kind of like a training. I felt it was more like a training module. Like if I were, uh, I don't know, if like the police were involved and, and I had to do something about those guys, uh, you know. You're, just not, you're never going to let that go. I know. I'm just saying. I mean, like law enforcement, uh, you know, if you have to do anything about them. So I feel like like uh, it's it's actually a really good uh, training uh, training program that I would encourage uh, people to, um, to use because you never know when you might need it. Well, you were on a panel this year discussing zombies, so I was. Yes, exactly. I used my uh, the, my uh, expertise. So, uh, which I, I one of the <coughs> according to some uh, websites, I'm one of the uh, foremost medical minds in the in the field of zombology. You're just waiting for the zombie apocalypse so that you can just truly get your your true calling out there in front of everyone. I'm 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 not even close to some of the the stuff that these. Uh, these other guys are uh, are doing with uh, with zombie medicine, so uh, I'm just gonna. 
<laughs> it's gonna let let them take the take take the field uh, the direction they want to take it. I'll just uh, I'll just appreciate from afar. But you just uh, read the journal articles and yeah, exactly on. right. Yeah, <laughs> they have somebody. I walked actually. I have to say, I walked into uh, I walked into work the other day, and somebody had uh, printed out a page from Amazon uh, that, and the they just pasted it on our. Um, on our board right over the, the operating room schedule. And it just said neuropathology of zombies. And then it had a description of the book and they just posted it there and highlighted neuropathology of zombies. And it was just sitting there. And, uh, I assume it was meant for me unless there's some other zombologist <laughs> that, uh, that, that works. That's, uh, that, beautiful. But, yeah. so, That's beautiful. Know. So Bruce, uh, what spoke to you this year? Any game in particular jump out? I don't know. Were there, did games come out this year? I really, I couldn't tell. Um, so uh, I got to tell you, the, you know, the, you know what I played the other day was um, Dark Age of Camelot, but I don't want to go into that right now. Uh, that came out, yeah, I think that came out in January. Am I, that's yeah, January that's, 2011. That's totally, yeah, it was just around the corner. Well, it really. said it had a free trial, so I was like, wow, this is this really good. So I, I, I downloaded it. I actually played it yesterday. No, I'm not kidding. That's not a joke at all. I can give you. I I've got screenshots. I've got screenshots. But um, no. What, so what we really want to know, Bruce, is what did you name your character? Um, so I had a character way back in the day, uh, g- glad you asked that, whose name was Lego. And um, <laughs> what? when, uh, when it, apparently at level 10, you get to give a, the patient, uh, the patient, sorry. But, oh <laughs> wow. wow. All of a oh sudden, someone's working way too hard. games. <laughs> yeah, so, so you get, oh my God. That's, uh, can we edit that out? Can we have oh, like, no. edit that, No, 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 no. Yeah. After all so, these years, I finally uh, understand Bruce Carrick a little oh, bit. Yeah, so, uh, so the, the character, uh, you get to give him a last name. So I, I called him, I gave him the last name Duplo. So I had this character Lego Duplo um, that um, uh, I had. That was like my first MMO character ever. Um, but uh, I totally forgot about that when I uh, when I uh, started started um, Dark Age again. I just gave it some random name, I think. But uh, you know, there's still people playing that, and there are like guilds and everything. And I got into a guild, and it's just so fantastic. I'll probably play Bruce. I think too. the conventional wisdom is that uh, old MMOs never die; they just go free to play. Yeah, and then yeah, this is I well. True. I have a trial account. I mean, it's, I, I I assume that at some point somebody's going to make me pony up money. I'll, I'll I'll log on to it about two more times in my life. But it was really it was really uh, exciting to uh, see the old places again. But uh, no, the game I want to talk about is called Unity of Command, which uh, is I gotta say it's probably the only other game that I've played that came out this year. I know War in the East came out technically in December of 2010, so that doesn't count. The, uh, Unity of Command, we had a podcast on that a couple weeks ago, but, but, but you couldn't make it, so we don't have your opinions on it yet. So tell us why you like Unity of Command. So Unity of Command uh, is a uh, is a game. Now, did, did, did uh, we ever figure out, is, is it, uh, are they are they Serbs or Croats that, uh, that designed this game? I think we, can we just say Eastern Europeans? Let's just say Slavs. <laughs> I'm curious. I'm curious. Um, so... Uh, the uh, the game is uh, it's an Eastern Front game and it's operational level which uh, I I really enjoy. Uh, there haven't been too many. I mean, if you want to play an operational level Eastern Front game, you're pretty much you have two choices. You can play um, SSG's uh, Course and Pocket, or you can play a number of John Tiller games. Neither one of which anybody who is not a complete hardcore gamer is going to want to play. Right. Uh, 
So, uh, but if you just like strategy games and you like war, you can learn Unity Command. It, it's the, there are three things I like about it. One, it's fairly simple. Uh, two, the rules are completely out in the open. So uh, looking at, I'm looking at the manual right now on page 23. It tells me the retreat probability, the overrun probability, and various, and ha even has a combat calculation example uh, on page 24 that tells me exactly how the game sort of deals with uh, uh, all the combat factors in a very straightforward way, and uh, it has a great interface for that. So that's a fourth thing. The, the third thing was going to be, I love the aesthetic. It has these little, like, torsos. <laughs> I never would have guessed this, by the way, Bruce. I would have thought this would have been a hang-up for you. Oh, no, it's not. Yeah, it's, because... it's so cute. I would have thought you would have hated it. Well, yeah, Bruce, you, thing... I thought you hated cute things. Explain well, yourself. It's Puppies, because, boom. Because here's the thing. Here's the key thing. They're mm. not just cute little soldier heads. Mm. Like, for example, you can tell the Italians from the Hungarians from the Germans, from, the, like, the infantry. Like, it's, so it's not like they're like, oh, look at these cute little guys. They're like, yeah, this is a cute little guy, and he's German, or, you know, this is, like, the lame Italian infantry, watch out for this guy. I mean, it's, it's all, the, all the cues that you would have uh, in a more traditional kind of hex-based war game where um, you would always look for the allied miners, with the you know the the different colors on their on their uh, on their counters, so you can find a way to <laughs> keep them out of the front line. Um, and it it's not a uh, it has a couple it has some problems. I don't like the fact that actually somebody mentioned this on the um, Flash of Steel website when Troy mentioned that he liked the game. Uh, somebody said that the idea of uh, uh, move and shoot as an operational level game, you basically can move your guys and attack. And then move another guy. So the, the combat happens instantaneously. So you can sort of ahistorically create these uh, uh, breakthroughs that are a, a little... S stuff happens. It's not so historically accurate. But gamey. It's very gamey. The g game is very gamey. And the thing that I like about it, I'm willing to put up with that if you give me a clear problem, if you give me rules that I can... Uh, uh, that I can sort of assimilate, understand, and use, and I, you give me an interface that uh, that allows me to access all that stuff pretty much instantaneously. You can you can mouse over any combat; it'll tell you what the odds are. It's very um, very SSG in that way. Uh, click on a unit, click on the unit, or, or mouse over the unit that you want to attack. It'll tell you immediately. It'll tell you what the what the column that it's going to be resolved on is, and you can look at the you can look at the um, you can play this in a sort of super micromanagement way, but you don't have to. Um, it emphasizes important things. Uh, Troy already mentioned on on uh, uh, Flash of Steel that um, uh, it really emphasizes uh, emphasizes supply. If you cut units off, they become pretty much useless. Um, it's a it's just a it approaches the um, approaches the game from a game standpoint and kind of works the history part into it rather than dumping in a ton of history and then saying, oh, well, I wonder if this works as a game or not. Yeah, I mean, we spent a whole podcast talking about Unity of Command, and it's 
good is that you agree with me on uh, what makes the, the the gaminess really doesn't take away from you know just how simple and appealing and fast it is it is a fast moving war game um i i didn't think about and you're right the aesthetic i didn't, didn't even occur to me on the podcast how or on my blog post how the different units do look different though i mean i've come to rely on that constantly i know god damn it i have too many freaking romanians in the south how do i get the romanians out of the way so i can get the germans uh, up there um, the Russians don't really have that problem. They have other problems. Yes. Uh, but uh, that isn't one of them. Uh, it really is a special kind of war game. As I said in the post, it's kind of what Panzer Corps could have been or Panzer General should have been. I think it really does have that. It has a potential to have that broad appeal. It really does have really core war game mechanics in it, even though it is a bit uh, gamey in places. Um, it's a good middle-brow, simple war game, and I love it. Middle brow. I like middle brow. I'm all about uh, yeah. middle brow. Middle brow in the sense that what? That it's like historical, but it actually... It, it's, it's historical. It's approachable. It doesn't... It's not trying to beat you over the head with the history. It acknowledges it's there. Um, it doesn't want to abstract the, 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 the stuff that the, the, the air war is just, oh, you have planes and you can bomb things. And that's all the air war is. There isn't air combat. Uh, there aren't anti-aircraft batteries you have to deal with in any great number. Um, they're just little cards you play, uh, but do get basic understanding of you need to use your air power to knock, knock out strong points uh, to push the advance forward. I think it really is a good approachable war game, and I love that. And it's the kind of game I think I've been waiting for for a while, a war game I can play without really, you know, spending, you know, all this time studying the map. Like War of the East is a great game. I'm not going to uh, go back and say I don't like War in the East. It's a great it really is a very impressive and masterful piece of work, but I want to have a quick, dirty march towards you know, Smolensk. I'm going to be probably going into Unity of Command. I'd like to nominate Middlebrow, Troy, as, as our uh, part of the official taxonomy of how you uh, talk about a war game. There's hardcore, there's beer and pretzels, and, and in between Middlebrow. 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 I like well, it. well done, Troy. <laughs> and if it's, if it's World War II, you spell the brow with a B. A U. Yeah. Oh, that's A-U. beautiful. That's beautiful, Troy. Good. Middlebrow. Yeah. Is there an umlaut over the U? You betcha. Yeah, like come Motley on, crew. Crew. <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, come on. Uh, I want an umlaut. Oh, I'm so uh, disappointed. You always, you always want umlauts. <laughs> really uh, so, yeah. So, Unity of Command is the big one for you, Bruce. Uh, Julian, what uh, stands out for you this year? I mean, aside from all the little games, which we won't delve into too much, I, I, I really have to give the hat tip to Men of War Assault Squad. And, and, and if we're going to talk middle brow, I think certainly compared to the rest of the Men of War series, Assault Squad was the game that brought it maybe to middle brow. Um, and I think that's actually the masterful part of this. I mean, I haven't played any real-time game that's given me that same feeling for the situational, uh, you know, tactics of, of squads since uh, since Squad Leader, since Advanced Squad Leader, which I know Bruce and I share a love for. Uh, you know, and it, what, what's so brilliant about Men of War Assault Squad is, and I'm speaking particularly about the co-op, the single-player campaign's great, but um, I'm really talking about the, where the game shines, which is when you get three or four guys together on a side, either doing a comp stomp or, or against other people. Um, it really allows players of different uh, temperaments and different skill levels or different uh, exposure to these types of games to play very different roles and still be useful, right? I mean, I can pl- right. I can jump in and be... 
uh, you know, not particularly good at the micromanagey stuff, but just play effectively a sniper and maybe a couple support guys. And I can be phenomenally effective in a match, whereas I can be playing with Rob Zachney, who has an amazing ability to multitask and a great sense of situational awareness. And he well, can he, be managing. He, he, he is much younger than you. He is. He is. And he drinks much more. So I think that, you know, the neurons are a little more fluid. Um, mm. But but he can be managing 16, 17 units at the micromanagement level, like moving fuel between tanks and things like that, while I'm basically playing one sniper. And then in a different scenario, maybe I'm actually feeling much more confident in my ability to manage, you know, six infantry units making a major frontal assault while he's running a flanking maneuver. That kind of really collaborative co-op experience in strategy games, I find to be extremely rare. I really can't think of another game that's done it as well as Assault Squad does. Um, and, and it has this sort of self-scaling difficulty thing that I, I, we've just played a ton of it. I mean, it's just a go-to game when you want to play for an hour or two with a bunch of friends. And there are not a lot of strategy games that really reward getting three or four guys together to play online. Why, so why haven't I heard of this? Because uh, you live in a box under a yeah. bridge? I don't, don't know. You, don't, don't, play you, you don't play many RTSs, Bruce. I, don't, I know they've talked about it in the podcast quite a few times. Huh. Men of I'm, I'm with you, Bruce. Is I only know about it from hearing these guys talk about it. It's uh, one of these things I kept meaning to try, but for whatever reason, it never made it across it's, my It's It's my a desk. really impressive game. I mean, it's um, it, it's definitely tactical. I mean, it's in, in a sense, it's... Uh, you're you're controlling individual guys and those guys are named right and so you're you you do develop that attachment to individual units so it's a Um, role-playing game it's fine (laughs) it's a role-playing game it's Uh definitely tactical in the sense that you're trying to figure out which guy to put in the window of which building right i mean it's at that (laughs) level but but to me that's that's precisely the same scale level as playing advanced squad leader where i'm sitting here trying to move a half squad into a doorway right Right. i mean it's exactly that level of engagement with exactly the level of complexity that's underneath the hood too right i mean it it throws all the different tank units that you can possibly you know flip through your books and find out there and they all have the you know the you know oh well the rear armor on this one was bad and had a tendency to explode when shot from the left flank i mean has all that crap built in underneath the hood but you can ignore it or you can dig really deep and micromanage it i generally ignore it but i can play with people who really want to micromanage it it's like it's super good like dragon age but world war ii exactly exactly (laughs) with 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 fewer sexual encounters so far oh you can't have romances in in this game in assault squad Uh, only if you really love your howitzer <laughs> anyway, I I would say a strategy, you know, it's certainly big strategy game of the year for me. Just it's hands down. Okay. Now I have a dumb All question, right. Julian. Who who published this? Is it Matrix? Uh, who published it? Um, I I know One C did the development. Oh oh yeah, so they probably published it. Okay. Yeah yeah. All right. Okay, so we may have like signal degradation for the rest of this podcast because I'm downloading it off Steam right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's super good. I mean, it's 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 hard if you just jump in. Men of War is not an easy franchise to jump into. It requires send this guy here, send that guy there, and and it can take a little bit wait, of getting used to. Is this about? Oh wait, I think I'm. 
Oh crap! I got to Man of War. Oh, this is a sailing ship game. Okay, hold on. <laughs> crap. Okay, I gotta. Okay, I gotta stop this. Okay. Oh, I gotta get my oh, money back. All right, right. But so. it, it don't. It, the difference between Men of War and Men of War Assault Squad is like the difference between Advanced Squad Leader and Great Little War Game on the iPad. I mean, the, I find Men of War the rest of the series impenetrably difficult. Mm-hmm. See, I never really got into them because of them. Not particularly difficult. It's just the time uh, to put into them. Um, so, have you played the, did you play the Vietnam game, Men of War Vietnam? No, I did not. I'm curious how that is. Yeah, from, that also came out this year. Correct? Yeah, all, all all I've heard from people who play more of the rest of the series, I played the straight up Men of War and I played Assault Squad. I've heard that all of the other sort of micro expansions of Men of War are truly of the old franchise and assault okay. squad is really this thing that brings the co-op aspect to it and the sort of scaling micromanagement aspect to it. So we should do a whole three MA game of it then. Oh, for Sounds sure. like we, you should. I, we play it right. Reg- I mean, we still play regularly with, I play with Zach near, we pick up games with guys from gamers with jobs. I mean, it's right. a regular go-to game for us. Yeah. Well, now I have to play Adam zombie smasher. And now, Men of War Assault Squad. You are, I, definitely longer games with Assault well, Squad. Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm quite sure. Well, I'm curious now to hear, Mr. Uh, I Never Have Time to Play Anything. Uh, what would you pick, Troy? Well, the game that really stood out for me was, was Shogun 2. Ah, good. I was, I was, I'm glad somebody picked it because I, I, I wanted to, but I, I was going to leave it to someone else. So thanks for picking up the slack, Troy. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I try. I mean, Shogun 2 was, I mean, it is probably the best strategy game of the year, I think. Um, most because it is such a surprise. I go back and I think about, you know, one of the really early debates we had on this podcast. Uh, we talked to Tom and I, you and I got into it, or whether you could design a game that was good at the tactical level and strategic level. And the Creative Assembly had failed time after time after time to get the balance right. Um, and should we just throw up our hands? This is impossible. And I think that they kind of cracked the code here in Shogun 2. Uh, the the war game, uh, the battles are really well done. The AI is competent. Um, the battles do mean something. And the strategic level is just so well done uh, with so many different factions, so many things that can happen. Uh, you know, the diplomacy and the construction, you know, the whole building things on the map. It really does stand out for me as probably Creative Assembly's best work. And I can't say it's a game that I was looking forward to because, you know, I'd been burned a little bit uh, with the other game, but still defend them as being not really bad games, but they certainly weren't great. I wasn't expecting greatness. And going back to the whole Shogun era, I was kind of, it doesn't have that much appeal for me. Uh, but it, the, it, it looks great. The music is amazing. It's a game that really touches uh, every little thing I want in a great, big, spectacular Hollywood uh, strategy game. Um, and there are very few big Hollywood strategy franchises left. Um, and it's good to see Creative Assembly not just churning out. They could have turned out you know, another halfway decent Total War game and still made a profit at, at, at it. But they really wanted to do a good one. And the, now it's still a, the AI isn't perfect. It, they still suck at sieges. I'm not sure how they can ever get the AI to do a decent siege. Um, and I think that's still the last thing they have to work out. Um, how to get all of these armies surrounding a fort to work together uh, to bring down a castle, because I have really no trouble holding them off with a few archers um, and my daimyo. But in general, I, I was just kind of, it's not just a matter of I was surprised how good it was because I was expecting the worst. It is a game that I would easily put up there as one of the best strategy games that I've played probably in the last decade. Um, mm, as wow. far as... Mm, wow. Mm. 
I think it really is just having everything fitting perfectly. Um, you now, Tom, I know you're a big fan. Hmm? Tom, I, it was you're a huge because it made your top ten list, which I was surprised to see. Uh, it, honestly, it, yep, it made my top ten list as a fan of RTSs. I don't, I don't know about necessarily the last decade, but I agree with the sentiment, Troy. Like it, it was that good, uh, yeah. and it really was. It seemed like Creative Dis- Assembly just decided, you know what, we're going to hunker down. We're going to take more focus on a single subject matter than. You know, the, the medieval games just got huge, and even Empire, yeah. huge. And they decided, maybe we bit off more than we can chew. Let's sort of drill down. Let's get back to some basics. Uh, and with that, it added just so much distinct atmosphere and period flavor that I think they kind of lost sight of. I mean, some of the stuff in yeah. Empire looked great, and... But there, there was just so much from the interface to the the way you use the heroes. I mean, it just so – everything about this just oozed, you know, feudal Japan. Uh, and so, yeah, I love that. And I, I'm – you know, you mentioned the CJI, Troy, and I, I'm even okay with that. Like I've had plenty yeah. of games where, yeah, I've got my archers, but he just overwhelms me. And I've got men, you know, men crashing through the gates just by sheer numbers. Right. Uh now, you're right, an AI is never going to be able to utilize units as smartly as a human player, but there are plenty of instances where you get crushed by numbers. You know, I never feel like I'm completely safe. And that's kind of how right. the end game works. You guys had a show on end games. Uh, actually, we've talked about that on the podcast before. Yeah. But the end game in Shogun 2, which reminds me a bit of imperialism. Imperialism was all about creating these intricate networks of who's your friend, who's your trading buddy, who you're allied with. And then before the game ends, it's all going to come crashing. Crashing down. It always and blows this, up. It always blows up. There's this grand Gotterdamrung at the end, like uh, where, where all these this network of alliances yep. just comes into an apocalyptic, just fail state, and everybody and there's a world war. Yeah. So Shogun Two does something similar uh, with I think they call it Realm Divide, in that you're always if you're going to win the game, you're going to try to claim the Shogunate, and certain most of the people on the map aren't aren't going to cotton to that. So you have to fend off everyone for a while. So they had a good end game. They just had a great focus on the period. And that end game, by the way, even ties into the period greatly, this idea of recapturing the, the Shogunate. Uh, they also, Troy, I don't know if you spent much time with multiplayer. I, I haven't since it came out, but I loved their approach to multiplayer. Well, they had this whole persistent thing going on. You could develop your own uh, general or something. Yep. De- develop your own general, develop yep. your units. You know, you could level up your units. There was matchmaking. Uh, uh, you know, you could always play right. the the Total War games in multiplayer, but it was kind of in a vacuum. You know, that's the appeal of the Total War formula is let's have a really cool battle with a larger context. And single player, that larger context is the map. But multiplayer, there was no context and it felt a little silly. You know what? I'm going to have a battle. I'm going to pick yep. my units. Big deal. I win and I lose. Whatever. But they, they take the same appeal of single player, that larger context, and they give it a multiplayer context. And I loved that. Uh, well, the end games, in part, I mean, they, they had a great game in, in Rome. I mean, Rome had that same sort of end game where mm-hmm. you have to march on Rome and defeat everybody. And I think that was something they abandoned. Well, at first, it didn't fit very well right. with the empire and the medieval theme. Uh, so this is something that they have done before. But the, the diplomatic game in Shogun 2 is just so much better because you have this idea of vassals that you have to keep you know, relatively loyal. But they'll, they can be swayed away from you. They can betray you. Um, you really do have to watch your back in a way that you didn't have to in Rome. Right. Um, and it felt kind of dynamic, whereas in Rome and in medieval, they kept you on your toes by always having you being attacked by more than one person. 
Knowing that you could always beat the AI one-on-one, they'd give you at least two or three enemies to worry about. And that's how they kept you, you know, worrying about, what am I building enough things? Am I going in the right way? Shogun 2, not sure what they did, but it, it generally does feel more like a dynamic, diplomatic, evolving world where I am actually trying to curry favor to become Shogun and beating people on the head to have them respect me as being the Shogun. <laughs> uh, so there's... It, it does have the, yeah, the whole feudal Japan feel uh, that I was missing in a lot of their other games. It's just so great to see Creative Assembly come back with such a triumph. Um, yep. It's a game that I think is being, you know, not being totally forgotten as one of the great PC games of the year. But I think it's because the franchise has been around a long time. Uh, people tend to take it for granted that it's always going to show you spectacle. And it really does. No strategy game has ever done spectacle uh, as well as the Total War games. And I think that that's fine. It's one reason why I liked uh, Empire quite a bit is that, you know, the spectacle of all the muskets going off was it's just pretty damn awesome. But, they have mo- but there's more than that in Shogun 2. There's more than just the spectacle, which is glorious. You know, I remember going to E3 and said, oh, we have more different types of trees than we do different types of units. It's like, okay, that's a bit of overkill. Uh, <laughs> but it's also true to the period where, you know, you're not going to have, they're not enough to invent ways to make the armies sound interesting with 10 different types of cavalry. Or we need guys who can throw heads, like in Rome. So you can just have your samurai and your archers and they can evolve and change a bit. But really, it's not about putting a whole lot of fancy stuff in the field. It's making sure it looks good and acts properly. Now, Troy, I want to ask you. Uh, yep. I know you were very busy this year playing your downloadable civilizations like the Danes and the Koreans. Uh, in the course of supporting the Civ Five DLC, did you get a chance to try any of the Shogun 2 DLC? I have not uh, tried to in the Shogun 2 DLC. Uh, All right. I hope not, you're happy. No. You're killing good strategy games. Nice work. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm it's not, all your fault. <laughs> I, I, I get a lot of the Civ DLC packed into my... It's, I, I get sent stuff. Uh, people send me stuff. Oh, in other so. words, you what only play of? it if it's free. I see how this no, works. No, I, 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 I'm, I'm, sh- I'm buying the Shogun DLC actually tomorrow. Um, with my paycheck. As we speak. Mm. As we speak. <laughs> That's the <laughs> signal degradation sale. right now. Is yeah, Troy downloading? Sale. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm downloading a bunch of $5 DLC. I am looking forward to the standalone expansion, which is coming out next year, which is set in, in the Meiji era, uh, which I think is going to be posed quite a because f- that has a potential for going completely off the rails. Because one thing, because in many ways, um, Creative Assembly's games are like Memoir 44. It's a system that doesn't work really well when you have... It doesn't feel right when you have gunpowder weapons. The system designed for melee forces to bang into each other. Wait, Memoir 44 doesn't feel good with gunpowder? We compare to... Compare to... Compare to... Command and Colors. Okay. Command and Colors board game system feels better than the Memoir... It's similar to Memoir 44, but feels better because it's about moving melee units around instead of gunpowder units around. So I think I'm, it feels yeah. better. I like that. I'm on board with yeah. that. Uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, then you have, so I think Creative Assembly, it's the same problem with gunpowder weapons. There's only a few gunpowder weapons, you know, like uh, in Empire, you are a medieval, you upgrade to the first muskets. And, oh, great, these are powerful, these are wonderful, but they're still rare weapons. But you take that Empire and Napoleon, a bunch of guys standing in lines, shooting at each other. It looks great for a while, but doesn't quite work perfectly well with the way their engine is developed. You can't do it. You can't do a th- uh, 3D kind of third-person Napoleonic war game. It's impossible. 
I mean, I look at the, the Take Command series. They can do it for the Civil War. Take the Command Civil War did a great job. and this Napoleonic era are completely different. They're fifty years apart. They are not comparable. The whole, all of everything is different about those two things. Yes, all and of everything. All of it. <laughs> yes, but this, this, this will be the Meiji era, which is going to be you know in the Civil War period, uh, roughly speaking. So. Yeah. I just, I just want to. Bruce's anyway. all of everything is different about those two things. There, there's a moment in Deer Hunter where Robert De Niro freaks out to John Cazal and he says, "You see this? This is this," <laughs> and, he, and he says it as if it makes sense. That was Bruce's approach right now to all of everything is different in these two things. It's true. <laughs> I defy you to disprove it. <laughs> they both have people with guns in them. I dis, I disagree. <laughs> Uh, the, the thing about the DLC in Shogun 2, though, is I, I like, unlike the freaking DLC in Civ 5, which Troy Goodfellow supports ardently. Uh, by the way, I love signing on to Steam. Troy Goodfellow is playing Civ 5. I know. I'm constantly seeing yeah, Troy every Goodfellow day I, and I, Dungeons I, of Dreadmore. I have a serious problem. And, Mister, but, I don't have time to play a four-minute zombie RTS puzzle because I'm playing yet another 20-hour campaign of Civ 5 because there's downloadable Danes. <laughs> yeah, it, it calls you out on that, Troy. Yeah. Every time I see that thing, little yeah. thing pop up in my window, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's playing that shit, huh? Yeah, okay, good. yeah I But know. I, I, I really do appreciate, though, the DLC approach that Shogun 2 is taking, where they download a completely new like set of units, a new campaign. Uh, it doesn't feel like some of the, the silly nickel and diming skin yeah. stuff that they used to do with their games. Yeah. Uh, so, so the the new clans aren't just nickel and diming. Well, you know what? I'm saying that Troy, without ever having seen it. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have heard. Wow. Yeah, that's wild. Wow. Yeah, wow. this is awesome and better. Whatever it is, we're some Bruce. Yeah. Okay. See this, Troy? This is this. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, dudes. You you know exactly where it's coming from. Uh, Troy, before we move on to stuff we're looking forward to in 2012, I want to address a bit about like what Julian said, which I largely agree with, about how uh, a trend is strategy games getting smaller, going to smaller platforms, like on the iPhone, diversifying. I I think that's what you were kind of getting at earlier, Julian. Um, And while I see a lot of that, I do think that this year wasn't a total wash for big AAA high-profile strategy games. Um, Like, do you guys feel like that – there's a cause for alarm if you're a fan of strategy games that we're not going to be getting any more big AAA titles. What do you consider a AAA title? Well, Shogun 2. Okay. Uh, I would Civ, point Civ. to uh, Civ, yeah. Uh, another game that made my top ten list was Anno 2070, you know, City Builder. That's not a, that's not a, that's not a AAA title. That wouldn't be title, AAA. Though. Anno 2070? Well, you know what, Bruce? I think you're right in terms of how Ubisoft – approaches and markets right. it yeah. but as far as how it actually plays and the the production value and the yeah, longevity story though dude i mean it doesn't at that that you know what that kind of approach that's 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 disingenuous because look here's how it works right people yeah. know what a big movie is right a big right. movie is a movie that people are advertising so like for example i know that one of the best movies that's coming up is going to be warhorse because that looks freaking <laughs> awesome and steven spielberg and explosions and stuff and it's all over the tv oh my god it's like are you going to see warhorse i'm going to see warhorse my god that's a warhorse right but okay. uh so that's, I mean, right. And so, you Fair know, enough, then. 
let the right one in. I mean, that's like 10 times better than all of those things, but it's not, I mean, yeah, whatever. Fair enough then. If you use AAA as, as far as like how much publisher support it has, then in a way I couldn't care less if a game is AAA. If in the end result is me playing Anno 2070, I don't care if Ubisoft lets other people know about it or if they, they – swallow the release date and never talk about it so, uh, so until what, the date comes. So what are you asking people then? So uh, do you worry that we're not going to be getting big budget, high production value uh, strategy games anymore? No, no. Your, no your question okay. is, are you worried that my strategy games aren't going to be advertised on TV? And my answer is yes. I want to see strategy games on TV. Well, that's never going to happen. I mean, well, unless it's called StarCraft. Uh, well, you know what, though, Bruce? Here's the thing. Uh, let's say you're a big fan of tower defense games, for instance. Yes. Okay. Which let's not, say okay. you love Dungeon Runners or whatever that thing is called on your iPhone. Right. Or Diner uh, Dash. Diner Dash. That's not tower defense. <laughs> that's, that's straight up multitasking. That's, but, but you get the idea. So you love that genre and some, some sort of uh, middle, not AAA, maybe AA games come out, okay. like Julian mentioned, Orcs Must Die. Sure. There's a fantastic game that I think trumps Orcs Must Die in in every way that came mm-hmm. out this year called uh, Toy Soldiers Cold War. Oh, okay. so good. I can't so, believe I didn't so good. that. So yeah. good. Okay. Uh, so let's say you like that kind of game. Here's one of the things that I think is happening in strategy games is that bona fide AAA titles see, hey, these tower defense stuff – People like this. Let's put it in our game. Let's put it in Gears of War three. Let's which put it in Assassin's brilliant. Creed Revelations, which was what? awful. <laughs> but uh, no, but so but, Gears of but, War three had a brilliant tower defense mode. Assassin's Creed had a horrible one. Right. But in both instances, it was the publisher, a big publisher, saying, "Hey, let's put this strategy gaming kind of but, new but, thing." But honestly, in this game. when was the last time you saw? Any tower defense game with the production values of Horde mode in Gears of War three answered never right and that's awesome right well, we want right. don't we want strategy right. games sure. to infiltrate the rest of gaming well, yeah and that's we, what I'm saying is is that while we might worry that we're not going to have them either advertised on TV or having big budgets kind of like RPGs were getting folded into everything over the last few years I think we might see that with with strategy with so, certain strategy tropes modern so warfare. Let me, say, three, let me get this uh-huh. straight, Tom. This is what you're yes. alleging. You are alleging that at some point people are going mm-hmm. to – a giant publisher is going to say, wow, this whole idea of having these little square chits with numbers on them on a hex grid should be in our super uh, Call of Duty game. I have two words for you. Civ five. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Hexes. Huh, interesting. <laughs> no, I'm alleging, Bruce, that even if we're not going – even if you do worry that, hey, we're not going to be a huge AAA competitive genre, that you can get your fix sometimes in AAA games. And, but, but, and I would actually yeah. – I, I, I think that what we're just seeing is the nature of strategy shifting away from something that has to be in a $60 console title to, frankly, something that gets back more to what strategy gaming's roots are. Right, I mean, which is really in the board game genre, and I think it's it's and I think we're in the middle of a huge renaissance of that kind of gaming. I mean, you look at the stuff that's available on the iPad, or um, you know, uh, dare I even say it, the 
kinds of efforts, I'm not going to call them games, um, that people have been trying to put forth on things like Facebook, right? We're in the midst of this huge renaissance right. of innovation and new ideas and new ways of playing strategy games. I mm-hmm. mean, I can't even get to half the crap that we are supposed to talk about on the show every week because right. so much is coming out. I didn't have this problem five years ago. Right, but I think I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the 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 medium really does make a difference in how people perceive games. I mean, you can have that that was the whole I mean, one of my favorite games of all time, Down in Flames. What a brilliant, brilliant game which came out probably about 6 or 7 years too early on the, you know, the uh, computer whatever you want to call it. Because it's a, it's I think a computer is yeah. the word. You're I don't know for. some kind of one of your one of your calculation machines. So, <laughs> is it out for the Abacus yet? Yes. <laughs> Look, the point is, geniuses, that the the game it, you you put it on if you if you have to put it in your in your CD drive and have it installed and then you click on things and then one of the biggest complaints was like, well, this game isn't really very realistic. Well, no freaking kidding. It's a card game. But <laughs> right. at the same, you know, and I think if you did the same thing with a great game like Neuroshima Hex, people would be like, yeah, it's pretty neat, but I mean, it just doesn't seem, it's not very involved. Where as soon as, soon as you take that same game and put it on an iPad, people are like, oh my God, this is genius. I can't believe people, it's like a game on my iPad and it has all this stuff going on because your, your sort of, uh, your expectation for how complex something is going to be and how elegant it's going to be, your appreciation for the elegance is is lost on the computer because you're expecting a whole bunch of of complexity. That's, t- that's fair, but but I also think that games like King of Dragon Pass are are natural for a platform that didn't exist, and now we have the platform, right? And now well, you're whole, on it, and well, you're that's like, my whole point. This is how this game should have always been made. So, how are you arguing the, against me? I, I think I've, I've won already. See, this is what you're doing. I'm I've already won, and you're like, well, dude, I'm going to win too. So I'm going to like. We're violently <laughs> agreeing with each other. It's exactly. a time honored tradition on this yeah, show. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, but you're making it sound like you're disagreeing. So you're kind of like sneaking in, like uh, you're like, oh, fine. I'm disagreeing. Do you want me to just say like Bruce? That was a very erudite uh, observation. Plus one. There you go. There <laughs> All right. I just did it. <laughs> just do that. I like this. Yeah. So, so looking, look, do you want to? Uh, no, but, but I don't think I think we've milked this enough because I mean it's I mean it's really uh, it, once once people start accepting that games can have. A, this different kind of of uh, aesthetic to them, and that the mechanics can be a little more elegant. Because you have to understand that ninety percent of the people that you run into every day have no idea what Settlers of Catan is. They just have. Yeah, that's they don't. Not true. That's not no. True. It is. No, I so, I oh, got. I just received a novelization. The novelization. It's a big old four hundred page novel of uh-huh. Settlers of Catan. First yes, all, you, I saw first that. Of all, you that's didn't. Crazy. First of all, you didn't. So I did. I have that book right now in my office. So you might think, Bruce, that 90% of the people don't know what it is. I'm going to violently disagree and say only 75% of the people don't know I'm what gonna, it is. I'm going to work tomorrow, and I bet you that nobody in the OR will know what Settlers of Catan is. I will bet you oh, that one, in, one in four of the people will. One in four? It was on the one page of the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, exactly. What? Anyway. All right. We're going to – this bet – <laughs> it is got, on. Yeah. Okay. Bet is on. So, but the but the point is so seventy so mm-hmm. fi, so seventy so you're saying seventy five percent. 
I'm agreeing with you, but uh, disagreeing with you in terms of the, uh, your. I disagree with your math. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so we gotta have to. Find <laughs> Let's see where you go with that. Okay. Uh, but uh, my overall point, I think you just made my point, Bruce. No, that. I made the point first, and you're but you're like once again piggybacking. <laughs> We're all trying to glom This is how you're Bruce's doing it. Rightness. This is how you guys are all doing it. I understand. I always find that it's easy to disrail to, to derail Bruce. You can derail anyone by leading off with saying you just made my point. And then say anything, say anything you right. want, yeah, and they're perfect. put on the defensive. Right, and they have to explain how it's yeah, not exactly. Uh, but I do, I do think that uh, you, you know, it's not. My bottom line is, it's not a bad time for strategy games. People might be like, "Oh, no, the only RTS coming out is StarCraft II: Heart of the Swarm next year." Right. Not at all. I think we're, we're seeing great things if you if you accept that strategy games are things like city builders. Uh, you know what, Sims Medieval, I thought realized yeah. brilliantly this year. How the Sims can be like a strategy game, like it I, tapped I, more into that gameplay stuff than that that loosey goosey uh, life simulator stuff. I, I wish I wish I had played that game so I could have some sort of meltdown and just kind of completely go crazy and ape shit about this whole thing, but I haven't, so I don't know what I'm talking. I would have about. loved to have seen a YouTube video of that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> also, something I want to bring up that uh, Troy, I kind of wish I would love to hear you guys discuss this on mm-hmm. the podcast. If you guys can talk about F1 racing games, why hasn't there been a Minecraft? Uh, three moves ahead. Because, I'd be totally into it. And and Julian, would you like? I don't really know what to do with this, but is Minecraft kind of a strategy game? If you accept a city builder as a strategy game, would it's Minecraft more a role playing game? Isn't it? You don't. Actually, well, there's no stats. You don't level a, up or anything. It's a there's platformer. No, it, I see it as much more of a sandbox. I mean, honestly, and and it's it's really a sandbox building game, more like Second Life than anything else in terms of what people actually do with it. I think it's more interesting what you could do with it as a game than what it right. actually is as a game, right? Right. That's because Dwarf Fortress, something we certainly have talked about, is sort of like the you know the PhD version of what Minecraft is. And, and Minecraft has a lot of like like resource allocation, Julian. I mean, that's a huge part of of Minecraft, isn't it? Well, no, there really is nothing. There, there's no game inside Minecraft. I mean, I think that's the interesting thing. And I played an what? ass load Explain of it. Explain that. It, I don't have any idea what you, what you just said. You said some there, kind of weird like mumbo jumbo. <laughs> so, there's no so game all, inside all, Minecraft. There really is no game in Minecraft, right? It it's is play. I mean, the goals ex- are all self-devised. It's exactly. Just play. Exactly. The goals are completely self-devised. You're in a sandbox where you can build things and create things and mine things. I don't things think and, that's can, true, can Julian. I've played yeah, so you, probably you can be 70 killed. hours of well, Minecraft then, then in the last go. six months. So Okay, well, have you seen – because I've only seen it since the release. I, I I first came to Minecraft literally a few days ago. So, so and yes, as there a, are as a new person there are, coming to – is a, a very small amount of external environmental pressure okay. to force you to do something. Okay. But you can you can accomplish essentially the goal of survival, which is really the only goal there is there. Right. Um, okay. Tom, within the first ten minutes of any given game, you can Tom's, just build yourself a little steel box and sit inside of it, and you'll survive. Tom, right? are there's you saying no, that there's a difference between that the thing that, that Julian is saying that Julian you played before? It, was like released and now Tom you're saying I played that, I played as yeah, recently so Minecraft, as two weeks ago and I played a year ago. Okay, so Minecraft is there a was, difference? Is that what Tom's saying? Go ahead, Tom. Yes, there's a difference. So Minecraft was a was a was a, was a very interesting case for how to release and develop a game. This fellow uh, made the Mo- basic framework of it. He released it as a beta and made it open.
open to everyone. He was he was selling it as a beta, and he was very clear about this. He was like, hey, this is a beta. It's an ongoing development. Give me your your 20 bucks or whatever now, and you can constantly play new builds of it. And it was very sandboxy. But the release version, and Julian here is me, you know, a strategy gamer coming to this. I'm in this world. I see ducks and trees and a lava pool and an ocean, and I don't know what to do. There's a little achievement tree, and when I sit down and play Minecraft for the first time, I'm like, okay, I've learned how to cut down a tree, now I've learned how to make wood, now I've learned how to make a pickaxe, now I'm supposed to dig so many blocks. I'm moving my way through these different achievements. Now, I don't know how long that goes on for, uh, but I have a very clear sense of these are the things I need to do. And as for resource allocation, uh, there's you have a limited amount of daylight before like zombies and skeletons and stuff come out and I don't know what I'm supposed to do they they pretty much instantly kill me and then I lose all my resources uh, so I get the sense jumping into version 1.0 for the first time having no idea what I'm supposed to do that there is some kind of game here well but uh, but but my point is that that lasts until you figure out that you build a stone box and stand inside of it and you're fine but right? then how do I do my achievements but, oh, but, but, but you're saying for the night entirely the, the the achievements are, are are effectively irrelevant, right? There's no you don't level up. There's no point. There's right. no so story. It's the, not an whether RPG. or not you choose to whether or not you choose to learn how to make steel, right, is entirely about whether or not you care enough about the world to move up from being in a stone box to a steel box, right? And the whether achievements you, aren't like a set of. It's not like quests. Like I kind of look at those as quests. I kind of feel like that's like in a city builder. Okay, I, now I, build a I, residential I if, district. If anything, it's 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 it, most it's a tutorial, right? Which is ah, to show okay. you the Fair kinds enough. of things that could be done in the world. But right. my but but my point is, once you've played the game for maybe a few hours. That's exhausted, and really it's just a sandbox where you try to figure out how the world is built, and that's the genius of it. Like, um, you know, like the best parts of, of any of the Sim franchises, figuring out how the systems work and what you could accomplish is, is the point of the game. I think it's genius. I've sucked tons of time, tons of time into it, but much like Dwarf Fortress, once you figured out how to survive, what you do from there is largely up to you. Um, and in Dwarf Fortress's case, there is at least the sort of escalation of of threat, right? You get you right. know things that will randomly show up on your doorstep and try to kill you, and so therefore you realize you need to do something more. Is what you're explaining, Julian, any different than uh, in Anno 2070? You've got these basic scenarios that you play. They tell you a little goofy story, and then you're turned loose to play these what are called continuous games, where you set up the parameters and you just stay alive and you build stuff. Uh, and it, it sounds, when I hear you talking about Minecraft, I'm very much reminded of the way I think the developers intended Anno 2070 to be played. Um, do you sort of do you think it sort of fits into that? I will admit I have not played Anno 2070, but the, the biggest... Or any good open-ended city builder, for instance. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the question is whether or not you think of SimCity in the absence of scenarios as being much of a game. And, and I don't, but then again, I don't care. I still love it. I mean, but I don't, I, I don't right. particularly enjoy big, giant definitional arguments. My point is that, that if... If imagine SimCity released with no scenario whatsoever and just an hour long tutorial about how all the systems worked. Yeah, but SimCity though is is I think a real early like, like SimCity is kind of rough and raw compared to later uh, city builders. Uh, no, so I, I agree I, with your I, point, I, but, but, but I think but that my point is that's what Minecraft is. It's like SimCity right. two thousand without right. any scenarios in it. So is Minecraft okay. this whole new? I mean, it sounds to me like it's some kind of whole new rough new basically. Development it's basically of a, new, a, of a new strategy genre. 
sandbox. You know what? It's just a building yeah, sandbox. Yeah. Sam- it's but really I, I just think, a set of Legos. And I think the best city builders kind of have some of the same thing going. Sure. Though. For sure. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's kind of, Bruce, also, it's kind of a cult. really it kind of is oh it kind of is it definitely (laughs) is but but part of what's so exciting about minecraft is it frankly is the multiplayer component where you have these shared worlds where people build crap and people just sort of see what they can build so people construct computers and you know 3d 3d printers and stuff because they put in all the basics for making circuitry and electronics and all this stuff but you do it in these giant meter wide blocks and so you make this crazy crap Real quick, Julian, and I won't even argue your answer. I'm just curious what you would say. Is Minecraft a strategy game? And I, I don't even just, – just a quick, simple response. Would you think it qualifies for like a discussion on a strategy game? Nah. Podcast? Okay. I mean I'm happy to talk about it on any podcast. I think it's brilliant, but I don't think of it as a strategy game. But you wouldn't look because at that as like – I, I, I tend – my definition of a strategy game tends to fall back onto the board gaming side of things, right, which is conflict simulation. And there's no conflict being simulated really in Minecraft. Uh, we okay. can have a whole bunch of thing about that, but what is the two? Wasn't there another game that was like Minecraft, but it was two D? Terraria. Dwarf Terraria. Is a, yeah. Okay. Now, one of the things you cannot in Minecraft, as far as I know, you cannot co-opt a police force. Oh, that's, <laughs> so in other words, you can't train anybody with it. So it's you could, however, useless. invent a, a police tool. force. Yes, you can train the sheep to be your police force. <laughs> So I'm kind of disappointed to hear you say that, Julian, because I wanted to think of Minecraft as one of the notable uh, moments in strategy gaming in 2011. Well, it's one of the, it's one of the most notable moments in, in gaming. In yeah, the we, last don't care about gaming. So, we don't I mean, care about gaming. Since when have we cared about gaming? We, I mean, we actively uh, disdain gaming. Just we because just like every game I love gaming. isn't a strategy game. I mean, I could, can we talk about Sword and Sorcery from Super Brothers? Because I could do that for hours. Please. That is so 2010, Julian. Welcome to last year. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about Falcon 4.0, for God's sake. <laughs> it has a strategy front end. <laughs> exactly, okay. yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, dynamic campaigns. Let's talk about so, 2012. Let's talk about what's coming up. Uh, strategy games looking forward to. Strategy or board games looking forward to in the coming year. Are there Started any games with, coming out? Well, the, the end of the world could come. If, you know, if, if Tim Tebow wins the Super Bowl, I think that's proof that the end of 2012 is the end of all of us. Or the Detroit uh, Lions. Lions well, looking yeah. good. They're looking good. You'll see. Mm-hmm. So, 2012, um, what's coming out? Uh, oh, uh, I have one. Second, second half of StarCraft, second third of StarCraft is coming out in the fall, isn't it? Diablo 3, is that a strategy game? That's going to be free <laughs> to anybody who ke- continues to play World of Warcraft. It, it, look at you reading the newspaper. Reading the freaking New York Times, baby. I read the whole Star Wars Old Republic review uh, yesterday or today or whenever. <laughs> and, instead so went on, and instead of playing that, went on to play Dark Age of Camelot. Yeah, nice it's kind first. of pathetic, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, So I think one of the, the uh, first things, it, for me personally, what I'm most looking forward to, and I tend to have uh, these sort of chronological blinders in that I couldn't care less about anything that's not coming out in the next month or so. Right. Huh? That's uh, weird. So I know it is weird. It's yeah. it's kind of, it is it might be pathological, but I don't want to get excited about something that's far off. Wow, so man. I just kind of forget about that stuff and I'm just, you know, whatever's next on the pike and what like President Romney? You're not excited about that yet? That's not until November. Hey, wait a minute. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> no, the thing I'm excited about is uh and I don't know which one of these comes out first. Troy, you might be able to help me. Mm-hmm. Do we first get Crusader Kings 2 or the uh, uh, House Divided expansion for Victoria 2? I 
think we get Crusader Kings 2 first. Okay, then that's I'm what I'm most excited sure. about. That's that's the one on my radar that I'm, I'm looking So for. why Crusader Kings 2? Well, certainly, as, as you well know, and as listeners of this podcast well know, uh, Crusader Kings is, in a way, one of Paradox's boldest strategy games. It's it's their the most innovative one. They they do some really cool personality driven stuff, uh, and I'm anxious to see where they go with the sequel to Crusader Kings. Uh, Paradox games over time, uh, and from release to release, the interfaces are getting better. The sort of user friendliness is getting better. Uh, I loved some of what I saw at E3 with with uh, what they're doing with the interface and what they're doing to make it more accessible. Um, so I just want to know. I, I'm looking forward to what Paradox does next, and if that's going to be Crusader Kings too. And there you go. I'm also, I really like, I think there's some really cool, bold stuff in Victoria too. That sort of population model. Uh, and I want to see mm-hmm. how they add the, the new Civil War expansion into that. So those are the two things I'm most psyched about. I really only have one thing. I mean, I'm not paying a, a huge amount of attention to what's necessarily queued up in the Matrix and Paradox, you know, release list. I tend to just take those things as they come. Um, but I mean, following right on the back of talking about Minecraft, um, you know, Mojang, the developer of Minecraft is supposedly, now that they've finished fighting over the name, releasing in May an actual strategy game called Scrolls. Uh, and it's, you know, I, I don't know that much about it. It's some sort of Oh, you of mean the Elder Scrolls? Exactly. It's some sort of two-player strategy game where you beat the crap out of each other. And I know almost nothing about it other than that. But I'm super excited about it just because <laughs> these guys are building something new and they've got a lot of great ideas. So that's sort of my sleeper thing that I'm going to pay a lot of attention to over the next year. You know, I, I'm I'm intrigued a little bit by Carrier Command, but right. and Dota Two's coming out, but that's you know that's kind of it. Uh, uh, Julian, you didn't mention End of Nations. You're right, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Because he knows that was mine. No, that's a history. Oh, I'm sorry. Fact, not a game. <laughs> I knew it wasn't going to be Bruce's. <laughs> yes. Is that really what you would pick, Troy? It's. It would be one of the games I would pick. Yeah, I think End of Nations. I mean, it's coming from Tryon, uh, the same studio that uh, produced uh, Rift, uh, though of course different developers. And Rift, one of the good, great, uh, a very good MMO that came out in late 2010 and really hit maturity, I think, in 2011. It's a really good design. So look, so you know, it's at least in the hands of a studio that I know is making, doing some good work. And what I've seen of End of Nations uh, at E3 and other press events, something that you know, it's. It's a game that I really want to work. I mean, it's an, it's a RTS that's an MMO that has you know it has it's an MMO RTS that has raids, it has guilds, it has ways of collecting units and matching them together, um, getting cooperation going in the traditional RTS way, but also this meta game I don't quite understand. But I think End of Nations is the game I'm most looking forward to because I want to, I really want it to work. I really want to see a first class. High production value MMO RTS that isn't you know because we don't have any of those now uh, Troy you mentioned that it's it's Tryon but I want to uh, sort of clarify here they're just publishing the developers right. Petroglyph right. who's been those poor right. guys have been right. plugging away at RTSs for right. so long yeah, and I feel right. like they've so often gotten so close so yeah, there, there's always the Petroglyph games had always these little bits of genius and then all kinds of stuff that just didn't quite fit. Um, but I'm hoping that with the publishing and production team um, that Tryon has around them, they'll be able to put something in a place that actually has everything. Um, 
it's a game I, I it's a game I want to work. I'm looking forward to playing. Yes, I want to play, you know, uh, the new StarCraft two, and I you know want to play, you know, Carrier Command and you know the new whatever Sins of a Solar thing is coming out next. Yeah, I mean, well, I'll Ironclad, just buy whatever the guys the Ironclad make. You know. Aren't they going to be announced? Uh, you, you know, never mind. Sorry. And there's oh element, and, my and of course, the, 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 <laughs> and of course, you know, our our, our friends at Stardock are doing the ex, the next elemental game. Oh yeah, so the that, Fallen that, Prince or Enchantress. Fallen Enchantress. Right, that's the, right. by the by the genius guy that uh, did the other Derek, game. Derek Paxton, who did yes. Fall from Heaven. They that's put him in. Awesome. Brad Wardell hires him, puts him in charge of uh, the uh, the awful release of Elemental. He's like, here, do what you can with this. Yeah. And uh, uh, Derek, this. Yes. Derek Paxton get, rolls up his sleeves and. Uh, I'm so looking forward to that as does well. He, does he get to make another game? Because that's kind of unfair. I hope. I hope he does. Wait, you mean that, you mean Brad Wardell doing a do-over? After, no, not Brad the, Wardell. And Brad Wardell is the fall made from his own guy. bed. He can lie in that bed. But I mean, it's. I mean, <laughs> he he like hired he fired uh, uh, hired John Schaefer, right? Yep. Yep. And he hired uh, Derek Paxton. Derek Paxton. Yep. And so now yep. they're gonna make the best game ever, right? They should. Well, well, they're both working on. My understanding is they're both working on. I want to keep wanting to call it Princess something, but it is Fallen Enchantress. Uh, it's Fallen Enchantress. Princess uh, Zelda. They're both. You know, I don't know why I'm wanting to put a princess in there. I yeah, think you need. That is that's path. That's as pathological as not it, being it, able it, to look yeah. further farther out in a month. Uh, but uh, they <laughs> they're both working on Fallen Enchantress Princess. Uh, and my understanding, though, is that uh, John Schaefer is going to be doing his own project. He's also got on a back burner his own separate standalone project. Windseekers? Uh, who yeah. knows? Uh, it might be Skyward Sword. You know, who knows what kind of princess thing John Schaefer will do? We'll, we'll yeah. see. I know, uh, I know. But anyway. Um, oh, man. So, um, Jula, I'm Bruce, uh, what are you looking forward to? I'm gonna, uh, I know Bruce's pick, by the way. I totally do you know. Really? Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah, you've never even heard of my pick. Yes, I have, because you emailed me about Volko Runke's Andean Abyss. You even mentioned it last week. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's not it. it? That's not what you're most looking forward to? No, because that probably never come out, because it'll, be, uh, it'll probably be shut down by the uh, narco-terrorists. Well, but, do you know uh, what's coming after? I don't know if you know this, Bruce. He's he's doing I a, a counterinsurgency like trilogy, uh -huh. starting with Andean Abyss about the narco-terrorists. Yeah. Do you know the okay. other two entries? No, I don't. What are they? Please, Tom, tick. tell the me. Next tell one, me. The, yeah. the next one is Cuba, and the one after that is Angola's War of Independence. So, you know, the Cuba thing I'm just so done with, by the way. Are you what, really? Come on, yeah. really? Well, I, you know, I, want a I Cuba don't know. Board game. I just, I, Cuba, you know, it's, it, here's the thing about Cuba, okay? So, so when, when I was... Uh, <laughs> here's the thing about Cuba. And and Cuba ladies and gentlemen, this is, the, this is the only games podcast that sentence will ever be uttered. So when I, when I was interviewing for neurosurgery, one of the, uh, one of the chairmen of neurosurgery that I interviewed with was a paratrooper in the Bay of Pigs invasion. And we had a wonderful interview that consisted entirely of talking about the Bay of Pigs invasion. Uh, but as far as gaming about the Bay of Pigs invasion, I'm not really so set on the whole thing. Now, now Namibia and Southwest Africa, that's a completely <laughs> different story, uh, gentlemen. That's a completely different story. Uh, so I'd be really in that. There's, uh, there's a good book by a uh, Polish journalist, uh, about the uh, the fall, basically the uh, Portuguese pullout from uh, from Angola. It's a very thin mm -hmm. volume. You guys can uh, look that up on Google, <laughs> the internet that you all have, I, and figure it out and read it and tell me about it. I don't. Yeah, I don't want to read a book. I want to play a board game. I, right? I, I, I need this. So, I need so this Bruce, show what, what is it? Sometimes <laughs> I feel like I'm not a nerd, and this just always <laughs> yeah. makes me feel better. Yes. Yeah, 
so Bruce, what is your game? If it's not the Andean narco game, there's a game called Festung Budapest. Okay, of course there is. That's not a real game. <laughs> there's going to be a link to it now, at the, the bottom the, of this podcast. Yes, and it is that that, that that's the one of the, the, the Hobbit add-ons. Yes, exactly. Yes, it'll be with the three <laughs> trolls. They turn to stone, and you have to fight them. <laughs> Peter Jackson presents Festung. Okay. Budapest. Yeah. Wait, I'm like, I'm. This is a real thing. Yes, it I have is. No idea. Yeah. What it, is no, it? of course it is. Yeah. I. I. Well, here. Before I say anything else, I'll bet you a thousand dollars that it's for real. Okay, then I believe you. <laughs> yeah, now, if you, you, if you said ten thousand dollars, like your boys in the uh, in the Republican GOP debate, I oh. wouldn't have believed you. Yeah, if you're just right. putting only a thousand dollars, that makes bucks, sense. Yeah, that's some, right. I believe. Okay, that's fine. Um, so I am a big fan of. Historical Advanced Squad Leader, which Julian may be familiar with in passing. Just a little. Yeah, exactly. And the next or official Historical Advanced Squad Leader module from MMP, which is uh, Kurt Schilling, uh, formerly of the Boston Red Sox, currently of uh, gaming. Uh, the, uh, The next historical module is apparently going to be uh, about the uh, siege of Budapest and uh, the German defense and the Soviet assault. And it's called Festung Budapest. And I've already pre-ordered it. It costs like $300 or whatever it cost. Uh, it doesn't matter because I just clicked a button and now I'm apparently going to get one whenever it shows up. Uh, I'm hoping it's going to be next year. It may not be. Uh, but whenever it shows up, uh, I will get it, never play it. I will open it up, look at all the components, say, wow, this is awesome, and then put it on a shelf, and then in and 2021, the, and we'll be talking about it. And then write it. an article about it for Flash of Steel. Exactly, yes. <laughs> so Bruce, you what, can, does, uh, what does Festung mean? Festung, Tom Chick, means a lot of things. It really, it's it's more in the eye of the beholder. You have to figure out what it means. He has no idea what it actually it means. means. And by the way, it's, it's German, by the $97 way. for so pre-order. Yeah, wow. is it ninety seven bucks? Okay, yeah. So that's pre order, so it's like a hundred and fifty if you buy it after you pre order it. Yeah. Right. So Festoon for half means- that price you could pre order Indian Abyss, by the way. I but believe. when is that gonna come out? Uh when it's do done. You th- do you think the narco terrorists are ever gonna let that game come out? <laughs> uh I don't know how much sway they have over Volko Rumke, so we'll find yeah. out. Yeah, he's uh-huh. German, so he automatically has extra powers. That's right. <laughs> right, yeah. So uh all right, so uh that's uh, a there squad leader module is what Bruce picked. <laughs> Only here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's so, also the Ruse developers have a new game, don't they? With an awful name, this like war game, European Escalation. That's a worse yeah. name than Festung Budapest. <laughs> <laughs> Can you do much worse than Festung Budapest, apparently? No, you, you no, know, it's a great game. How do you not like that name? Why, uh, why Bruce, don't you like that name? Wait, hello. Uh, Budapest, I think, is it's a it's it's trenchant. Uh, I saw I've seen in the last month two spy movies that begin in Budapest. Really, one is uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. The that's other, that's a good mo- that's Mission a good Impossible book. Four. I was going to say Mission Impossible. So is Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible Four? He is, yes. and it starts in Budapest. Then it's a good movie. Budapest but is, Tom is, Ch- a hot is Tom Chick in Mission Impossible Four? I was last night in the theater. Did uh, <laughs> I went to see it? Did Kelly Wand like the movie? He did. Yes. There, okay. we, I, so I do a movie podcast that Bruce is referring to, and we all like Mission Impossible Four. Okay. But more to the point, yeah, it just highlights that Budapest is really hot nowadays. Well, can, did that? What was that movie that took place that, in Budapest where you could 
people committed crimes in the future and Tom Cruise had to stop them? Minority Report? Yes. Dragon Wars. <laughs> Dragon Pass. Uh, yeah, so, uh, all right, Budapest. I like yeah. that. All right, so there we have it. Uh, so that is 2011 and that is 2012. Have we got everyone? Wait, we didn't mention Cliff Harris's new uh, awesome oh, tank battles gr- thingy. Gr- gr- gratuitous oh, yes. space, gratuitous tank oh, battles. Oh, yeah, yeah. Awesome yes. tank battles, gratuitous tank battles, whichever. The gratuitous tank battles are awesome. So there you go. No, but that's. I saw a trailer where he was like showing how the like how the game worked, and he was like, it was like World War One or something like that. It's. I think it's like just like it's like a tower defense game, kind of. Yeah, like but but space you're but you're things. not but you're attacking the tower. That's the kind of cool thing about it. Yeah, right. Like that uh, like that. Um, Nobody's no, ever Troy. done that before, right? No, Troy. What was the one that you An- represented? Uh, 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 Anomaly Warzone. Yes, yes. Oh boy, talk about terrible titles. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but well, I, the, it's, it's Anomaly Warzone Earth. Let's be clear. Okay. Uh, and then we'll that follow it up better. with a, a Mars one and a Venus one and a Uranus one. It's a, it's a great little tower defense game or anti-tower defense game. Yeah, exactly. Tower offense game. Yeah. It had the same twist. Also, is I guess Generals Two is 2013, so that's not even yes. Yeah, never mind. Yeah. Uh, here's a little plug. Something I'm looking forward to. I don't know how. It's definitely not AAA. There's an iPhone game. It's a tactical combat game set in the Cthulhu mythos. No, no. Sorry, yeah. no. Okay, yeah. no. I just called. No, that. I, totally I don't care. Did. I don't care. No, fine. And it's it- called Festung Cthulhu. <laughs> 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 no, there really is. There really is a game. Uh, it's it's called Call of Cthulhu: colon, The Wasted Land, and they just announced they're they're releasing on January twentieth. Really, it's like a little. It's like a little. XCOM. If we're gonna go down this, if we're gonna go down this line, I mean, we got to start talking about Titan for the iPad coming out. Whoa, I mean, there's really? so much great yeah. stuff coming out. Yeah. On, I mean. Dungeon well, Twister, but, Summoner Wars. Well, to be fair, that's though, all to be because fair, of the all, iPad. Those, yeah, and those are ports, aren't they? Like, I, I I love all these ports coming out for the iPad, but this is a whole new no, 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 game. like Titan and Summoner Wars. These Titan's are all a new port. Yeah. No, Titan's I a port. I thought Titan genius. was a board game. Yes, it yeah, is. yeah, yeah. It's a board. Oh, I'm so sorry. is Summoner yes. Wars. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. yes. Sorry, but what I'm saying right. is, this I don't Call think of, of those as ports, but well, right, right. Uh, adaptations, it's a, it's whatever. A, it's but, a board game port. I would call it. There. Right. But uh, this Call of Cthulhu thing, yeah. totally new. Like it's it's not a port of something else. And I love my board game ports. Don't get me wrong. I actually played for several weeks the uh, Ascension on the iPhone, thinking, "Wow, this is an so awesome good. game for the yeah. iPhone." I had no idea it was an actual game. I is thought some good? guys sat down and made this on the iPhone when it's a board game port. But that's and a yes, port, yeah. It's a so port. You kind of shot yourself in the foot there, huh, genius? I did, and it hurt, and uh, I hobbled <laughs> for weeks after that. But uh, okay. it's great, and uh, yeah. Uh-huh. This this festival, yeah. Cthulhu so, Call of Cthulhu: The Wasted Land is supposedly coming out in January, January twentieth. Yeah, they have mm-hmm. a date. Wow, well, that's something. and you level up your little dudes, and you have sanity. Oh wait, you, you showed you... screenshots of. So, are you like yes. some kind of insider? Do you know about that? What do you know about this game that we don't know? What I know is they sent out their little press release, and I get so many sort of sad little press releases for, hey, we're doing an iPhone game uh, that I feel sorry for. But when they put – no, no, (laughs) sometimes they come from Troy, and they're less sad because I know him. Uh, But when they have a little Cthulhu thing in them or or something about zombies, I'm like, hey, what is this? And I read it. So I emailed them, and I asked them about the game, and they sent me a few more screenshots. So uh, I, you could say, Bruce, that I'm embedded Wow, that's a, <laughs> that's big time. Yeah, that's big time. That's big time. But it's yeah. World War One, you know. It's like that period. It's a period Cthulhu piece. Wow. Uh, do, do you get props for that? I no, I get kudos. Okay, okay. Yeah. 
So that's 2011 and that's 2012. Uh, I think we're finished here. Are we? That's a, good, that's a good question, yeah. We probably okay. should be. <laughs> all right. Perfect. That's a good place. Uh, I do want to thank uh, all of our listeners for getting us to episode 150. Um, it's impressive that we've carried on for what's, God, almost three years now uh, worth of podcasts, which is pretty impressive. Uh, 2011 was the first year with uh, Rob Zachney as host, and of course he did an excellent job uh, keeping the podcast going, taking some new and exciting directions. And of course, he's not here for this show. We're giving him uh, the first week of January off. But thanks, Rob, for doing it. And thank you, uh, listeners, for uh, spreading the word. Uh, every uh, week, we get lots of new listeners. Uh, we still get lots of email and requests, and you're all great. I want to thank my regular panelists, uh, Julian and Bruce, of course, for being on the show as often as they have been. They both lead very busy lives. Julian with his own podcast, Gamers with Jobs, and Bruce with, he, I guess he you just know, talks saving, to himself. Saving lives and all that crap. Bruce doesn't have a podcast. He just talks to himself in the operating room, calling his patients games. And <laughs> you're gonna edit uh, that out, right? Oh no, <laughs> we're course. not. We'll see. So, uh, but uh, Bruce is, despite being very busy, has uh, done a lot of great work on the show this year as well. Plus, all of our regular guests who've been on uh, more than once. There've been quite a few of those. Tom, it's always great to have you back, and you always have a seat here. So, if we discuss Minecraft, we'll have you on. How does that sound? I I so don't understand Minecraft, and I uh, I but I, but but you might, but but you know you're always welcome here. Thank you. Uh, and and by the way, whether I'm there or not, you guys really should do a Minecraft podcast. Yeah, yeah. That's, I'm putting in a request right now. I request. I, you know what, Bruce? That coffee I ordered earlier. Forget that. Uh-huh. Leave that. Instead, I want a Minecraft three moves ahead. All right. Perfect. All right. Sure. Uh, two, two sugars, no milk. <laughs> <laughs> nice work. Minecraft. Yeah. So good night, everybody. Good, good night, night, everybody. <laughs>